Welcome to Herp Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew, and my co-host is Peggy Detmer. Coming to you live from the Black Hills. It's Herp Talk Radio. Yeah, so Peggy, how are the turtles? <laughs> <laughs> They're doing good. Today was feed the box turtles as much as they could eat day, and, and um, I have to feed both of them, you know, like little baby birds still. You know, one was hit by a car, and um, since I've trimmed her beak, she is being able to take a lot bigger bites and, and, uh, she's quite adorable and gives, you know, gives me her, you know, looks at me like, okay, more and more. And then the other one, the male is blind from an infection. And so I have to feed, uh, he's kind of getting used to, okay, I smell it here and chomp, 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 regardless of whether I set it in front of him or I'm holding it up for him. He's, he's getting more self-sufficient. Um, so that's, um. That was fun today. And then all the tank turtles are doing what they do. <laughs> They're uh, uh, one more month and I do the cool down, which will enc uh, encourage the breeding. But uh, yeah, um, just just buzzing around. How about uh, you there? Well, I, I caught Kelly, my girlfriend, on Morph Market. <gasps> Looking really? at all Python morphs. Oh, so, is this a, a Valentine's this is a, gift thing? This is a very, <laughs> no, 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 no. She was genuinely interested in looking for her own, like, what should oh. we pair to our two that we have? She was genuinely oh, nice. interested. <laughs> so that's like, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's the new development this week is she's helping pick out pairs. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And uh, what's new in your world here, Bill? <laughs> well, uh, we, Teresa is continuing to do shows, and then uh, we have been tagged in a bunch more things for folks who are trying to move on from animals and the different things in the rescue world. So we will see how some of those progress. Excellent. And then we are helping or going to be helping to facilitate a uh, small zoo facility in Illinois that is closing down. Oh. Uh, so we'll see how that progresses as far as uh, how their enclosures and stuff are distributed and, and potentially wow. some of the animals. Well, let's, uh, things let's, like that. So let's uh, introduce so. you properly. Um, Bill Bradley here is with Coal Black Exotics. Um, mm-hmm. And he's quite the educator and uh, participates, like he was just stating, in rescues and uh, really big in big animals from what I've been watching of your work on YouTube and, <laughs> and which, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, I've been just into the smalls, you know, whether it be the, the snakes out in my yard and, and uh, you know, the, the little turtles in my aquariums around the house. But boy, in, in listening to what you've got, um, a whole facility with your collection, and a lot of those individuals are the biggies out there. You know, it's uh, you know, which we'll ask you all about. You can ex explain how you've acquired such a collection. But any anything you'd like to give us as far as you know your background, you know how you started. You know, were you one of those kids that carried a snake around their pockets like you know the rest of us? <laughs> Oh man. Um, yes, I was, I was, I, I grew up in Illinois 
and so it was garter snakes, toads, uh, praying mantises, any of the weird stuff that I would find in the summertime. And then uh, we, my family still uh, belongs to like an outdoor recreation uh, club type of thing. And so it's Illinois. And so that was uh, pit mining for coal way back when. And then when that industry ended, a lot of those either flooded or were flooded on purpose and then made small beaches and fishing areas and just habitat type of things. Um, and so turtles and water snakes and bull snakes and on and on and on. Um, and I grew up like 45 minutes from the Tinley NARBC and like 45 minutes from Kankakee State Park, which is where all the famous Kankakee bull snakes come from. And so it's kind of always been a thing. Um, the giant stuff was a progression. That was a progression from grade school. Honestly, wow. I did. I did a, um, you know, when you're in elementary school and you do the thing where you, uh, dress up like a historic figure and talk about their life and, and things like that. I picked Jacques Cousteau and I was way more into saltwater and scuba and all the cool things that he did. But through researching his work and his travels and things, I found out about the Galapagos and Komodo and Australia and all these places, because those are places known for diving and, and reefs and, and other things. And then reptile nerds are, were kind of a secondary. Um, and that's where I discovered that there are tortoises the size of your couch and iguanas that eat, you know, pink iguanas and all these crazy things. And, and it kind of went that direction. I've, I've actually done both, but reptiles stayed, I suppose. So did you get into scuba diving? I didn't end up, uh, scuba as much because by me it was more um wreck diving and quarries and things like that and it just never kind of caught hold for me because i was always looking in my books and looking online for all the tropical places some more snorkeling or just with a mask or yeah um i ended up doing salt water quite a bit during college along with the reptiles and then um during and after the military i did a a great deal of saltwater work, uh, reef tanks and things like that. And before joining reptile rescues and those things, I was the president of a reef club south of Chicago. So wow. I've, it's always something. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And uh, so uh, there was a question I had about that they flooded those quarries. Um, and then mm -hmm. um, did the game and fish or wildlife parks, forestry, whatever you call it there in Illinois, did they reintroduce native species or did they just colonize, show up on their own? Most of those uh, are a show up on their own type of thing. Um, a lot of, in my area where I grew up, uh, it was, they just recolonized over time. Like the particular club or whatever you want to call it that we belong to um, is typically just folks who are from that town. But it's it's a huge area of land with with all sorts of different habitat um and so a big chunk of it is not really used by people it's just there if they should ever choose to add a campground or make a new boat launch for the canoes or, or what have you um 
and so uh, otherwise it's just there and so now that's one of the places in illinois where turkey have become a big thing again and and different waterfowl and upland game and things like that um just because it's it's kept privately but so much of it isn't actually utilized by human beings that it is starting to go back to what it was um like it's it's kind of cool that there's you know there are two campgrounds and a beach and things you know human fun things get on a canoe and do stuff with the kids or whatever um but then you can walk a hundred yards and there's it you're just in the woods you know and you can keep going for another two thousand yards um pretty cool so yeah it's it was pretty cool and then a lot of when i was growing up um most of those flooded um pit mines were not connected so they were all separate lakes and they're very large but it it just wasn't an easy thing to access you know there was the main area with beaches and things like that and they had some boats and stuff uh, but the rest of it was very difficult to access unless you were going to canoe or kayak or or just hoof it and so those areas much much more quickly became colonized by the appropriate wildlife um and of course when you're a kid and you have a bicycle and you don't care about getting muddy and tired <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll go back there uh-huh. i that's what i did you know we were like yeah let's go it's, who cares about riding your bike 10 miles i'm 13 yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't run out of energy so now um you said it's they're privately held or owned but they allow public access mm-hmm. oh so it there's there's more than one in the area i suppose um the one that we belong to is private and then there are others that have access to the same type of areas i suppose it's a it's a really big complex of former mining area um and then there are actually several state parks in areas around it so it's a network it's yeah it's it's a pretty cool wildlife corridor and then separated by farmland and things like that illinois once you get south of chicago is not (laughs) cities (laughs) it's it's a bunch of cornfields and forests neat so back to like how you it evolved into the bigger snakes um (laughs) yeah you gotta tell us (laughs) like how do you go from just being a kid herping to having a retic or the famous uh bull snakes did you start with that because they are they famous because they're big and then you that so the the bull snakes uh in kankakee are have just a very stark and very specific pattern and as you travel farther into the southwest they develop more yellows and reds, you know, the Kleberg bull snakes and, and all those famous things as you get, you know, um, the hypos as you get out, out west and, and stuff like that. Um, and so there it's, it's just a cool colubrid that people like because it looks different than the ones in Texas kind of deal. Oh, okay. Um, the progression for me with giant stuff um, started with giant tortoises and big lizards and it was one of those things where i like building habitats and and small habitats are great because you can essentially make dioramas and i my dad did model trains and and different so i understood the concept of the small stuff and and planting and lights and and little like pictures you you know when you look in inside of an enclosure 
it's like a picture of the desert or a picture of the rainforest or whatever that you're trying to make because you want to see a garter snake or a dart frog or what have you. Um, and so that that made sense to me from the reef tank. It's more like living art, you know, thing in your living room that you can talk to people about type of thing. Um, when I was younger, I did not own giant stuff because my mom is not actually cool with reptiles. <laughs> She's scared of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> I had monitor lizards uh, when I was a teenager because I had really awesome grandparents. Wow. Um, so you kept them at your I, grandparents, your monitors? I did. Wow. <laughs> um, what kind of monitors were Yeah, they? my grandma was a little crazy. Uh, they had a spare bathroom you mean cool. and I turned she that into, cool. <laughs> oh, she's epic. She, she was the first person to tell me that your mastics are so cute that they're ugly. Um, <laughs> she, she loved, she loved that they ate salad. She loved, uh, getting eggs for monitor lizards. Yeah, she was, she was awesome. Um, so the, the really big, st and it, it was savannas, so bigger monitors, but not a water or a black yeah. throat. You know, still more midsize, you know, because I, I was a kid. So what, what um, what's midsize? I'm ignorant when it comes to lizards. Three, four feet? Like, yeah, well, like a savanna, probably 30 inches. Oh, okay. Maybe 36. Um, the worrisome part with savannas is, is jaw pressure and bite strength. Um, they don't ever get cute. They're not a six foot water monitor or a five foot black. Th they're not that kind of body of an animal. Um, and so it was something at the time that I could build an enclosure for, even though that was, you know, still very large. Um, the, the really giant stuff for me was when I went to college, I went to college at a work college. And so you had to work there in order to be a student. Oh, wow. And so my job was taking care of their animals, which progressed into uh, helping them do shows for high schools, teaching science lessons to uh, newer student undergrads. I was still an undergrad, but a older undergrad mm -hmm. um, and that kind of thing. And at the time, um, I was one of those people that didn't really make sense. Um, I played college football, but I went to school on an academic scholarship. So I'm, I'm a nerd, but I'm not really built like one. <laughs> so um, when somebody needed help moving a sulcata tortoise or, you know, getting a 50 pound snake or whatever, I was the guy that they asked. Mm -hmm. And I then started helping my professor. Most of my professors were older folks. And so they needed. Oh, uh, what field were you pursuing at that you were taking care of all these animals? So I was just a straight up biology major at the time. Uh, when I went to grad school, it progressed more into the neuroscience side and away from the uh, animal side. But undergrad, I was just straight biology. Um, actually, ended up taking a ton of classes in uh, botany and plant phys and plant morphology because. One of my favorite professors is a plant nerd, so <laughs> I hung out with the nerds that I liked. Um, but no, they they were all a little bit older. The professor that I worked for was a little bit older, and so like physically needed the help with a Burmese python or or things of that nature. And so that that's me. Um, and it 
it was one of those things where now my wife makes fun of me for it, but every person that does what we do has a big yellow snake, right? They all <laughs> use that. They, they do. You, everybody knows what that means when you were in elementary school, when you went to the fair, whatever. Um, it's, it's eye-catching. All kids like big stuff. All kids like pretty stuff and bright stuff and, and those things. And it's, at the time, giant things for me were a way to get kids' attention. And then I would teach them about box turtles because we're at the Boy Scouts and we're going to learn about conservation. But you're not going to come talk to me about box turtles because I look like this. And you don't want to talk about box turtles because you're nine. <laughs> you you want to know about my giant snapping turtle or the really big lizard or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so initially they were teaching tools for me at that time. Um, what I realized for giant lizards more than giant snakes is bigger snakes and bigger lizards do what you think you want pets to do for most people who are new to the hobby, which sucks because you don't always want newer people to get giant things because they have their own complications. but. A lot of new people to the hobby, especially kids, which is good and bad, they want a pet, but they don't want a cat or a dog. They want something cooler than that. They don't know what, and they have an interest. And so a lot of more basic pet keepers come at it from a pet angle, not a I collected toads and was a nerd as a kid angle. We're, we're actually a, more rare than your person who buys a leopard gecko at a big box mm -hmm. store. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I was going through that and working with these big lizards, working with tegus and water monitors and all these things, they do what you want them to do. Tegus will sit on people. Tegus hibernate. They like to hang out in my wife's hoodie. You can walk my Argus monitor and my water monitor on leashes. Wow. They, have an, they have an understanding of the concept that you can train them much like a dog. When they pull and you hold the leash and they realize they can't pull away from you, they walk next to you. They're very intelligent. Wow. They, they know what's happening. I would never have um, guessed. <laughs> any iguanid, especially large iguanids, they're visual. They communicate visually. They are very sexually dimorphic. Our green iguana knows boys and girls and doesn't always like boys type mm. of thing. He'll bob at me with the big beard and show off. <laughs> they do the things that you want them to do. Uh-huh. The downside is that you have to house giant things. Right. Mm. Um, giant snakes are kind of the same way. The, the, the Burmese python or reticulated python right out of the egg is too big to escape from the little thing you're going to put it in. Mm. A corn snake right out of the egg is a pencil that's alive <laughs> yeah. and it's going to disappear. You know, yeah, 100%. It, the, <laughs> the downside being that as a kid or a, a first time person with reptiles, you're not going to want something that ends up 15 feet long. Like you, you're going to struggle with the living pencil, but you will excel with a rat snake, a king snake, uh, you, you know, a, a three foot size of your thumb snake from North America. It, any yeah. one of them will be wonderful it's the start that's more difficult. Right. Yeah. So tell us, um, you, so you've got the monitors, What what do you have as far as, uh, the giant 
snakes. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so right now for um on the big snake side of things, we have two uh two retics. Um one is about sixteen feet, one is wow. she's probably a little over ten. We have the big yellow snake. We have our albino firm. <laughs> she's probably 13 and change, maybe close to 14 after the winter. We have a yellow anaconda. It's a male, so he's a little smaller. He's probably eight or nine feet. Um, boa constrictors, which are pretty standard as far as big snakes go. Um, and for giant stuff, that's kind of it right now. We have a lot of different mid-sized things. Hog Island boa, Brettles python, uh, our beauty snake. She's probably eight feet. Um, yeah, a, a lot of different things. Not all of those are able to be utilized at shows. The vast majority are, uh, yellow anaconda. Absolutely not. Oh man. Um, and, it's wonderful. And why is that? <laughs> he, he just doesn't like it. Um, okay. he like almost all of our large snakes understand the concept of a hook. I just use a way bigger hook. It's it's just much thicker to let their body rest. Because if you use thin hooks, you can you can have issues with their ribs and, and their weight and so forth. Um, but they like the boas, uh, any any type of boa, are Reynolds python, carpet pythons, things like that. They're arboreal, so when you hook them, they sit, they right. get it, mm -hmm. cool. Um, the retic that's ten foot. A 10-foot retic is still an animal that's able to be arboreal. Heck yeah. They're very, very strong. They're not nearly as heavy or thick as you would think. Um, she's probably as thick as my arm. And so she's able to climb wonderfully. And if you, you give her a little bit of hook to get up, she'll sit on your arm. She understands the concept of the climbing. Um, the two very large pythons do not. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just too heavy. They don't like it. And so, you know, we, you put kids on a pew and let them sit on the laps or, or whatever. Um, the issue with the yellow anaconda is that a yellow that I've had so far, my yellow and all the yellows that I've worked with, when they're in the water, it does not matter whether or not the water is murky or clean or whatever. They act as though you can't see them. <sighs> and so they're just much more comfortable. We use a lot of leaf litter. Um, it's he, he basically just lives in a muddy tub full of leaves with a water section. Like he's just a dirty yellow snake all the time. Um, and so when I have people come through the facility, we can, oh, this is camouflage and this is how it works. And the water is very muddy there and the yellow dirt and, and so on and so forth. But if you try to take him out, he just gets very uncomfortable. He doesn't, really bite or do anything aggressive he just does not stop wiggling until he can get on something flat and then when he's on something flat he he just wants to hide like i could we could all sit on the pews that we use for seats and have him but he would just be behind our backs like it would <laughs> he's not gonna you know be aggressive or anything yeah. like that he's just gonna dive behind us and hang out <laughs> like Anacondas have always fascinated me. Just a green is way too big, so I've thought about getting a yellow. Not right now, but they're wonderful for what they are. Right. For if you want to see something that is pretty big disappear, 
Yeah. If you if you enjoy watching, I love watching them. Swim. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, so if you have something large enough that you can watch them swim, and wa- it's it's so cool. Okay, how big of a tank do you have that you can watch him swim in? We have an assortment. <laughs> um, Heck yeah! <laughs> so I use I use troughs of, of just different sizes uh, as the base for things, or as the whole enclosure for things, depending on what they are. Turtles, things like that. Um, he is current. The trough for him is a one sixty right now. Um, he might. It might be a little bit larger. Um, it's seven long three deep and three wide um and then probably half of that is water and the other half is a muddy leafy concoction um and so yeah he just does his own thing and pretends like we don't exist and (laughs) that's good for him um and then we have much larger stuff in the basement that we we move stuff and like I'll take the water monitor downstairs and just let him dive bomb into a seven foot circular trough and let the Burmese Python swim around in there and then just put them back yeah. or, or whatever. Um, cool. So, so yeah, it just so burns now, calories. <laughs> <laughs> so your largest lizard is what? Right now is an Argus monitor. Our water monitor is pretty quickly catching up and we'll probably I'm almost certain we'll surpass him. Um the Argus is probably oh man, he's probably 40 45 inches long. Uh our water monitor is longer only because his tail is much longer. Um but the father to our water monitor came from a zoo facility here in Illinois and the father um total length is eight feet and he he's an absolute monster um i i don't have any reason to think that our male will slow down anytime soon so he's probably gonna he's easily cresting five or six feet now with his super long tail he he just kind of keeps on keeping on (laughs) so now you had said you were helping close down a zoo what um are you going to be taking on some of those animals then Possibly. <laughs> um, so most of the animals actually, that particular facility um, did a ton of outreach work and a, a ton of education work. And we did several charity events with them uh, every year for uh, many years. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that w- would potentially come to us from them is actually outreach animals. So super basic stuff like, uh, you know, rainbow boa, collared lizard. Uh, small things that I know that they have used uh, to educate kids and that we will just continue to do so. Right. We in Illinois, you have to have permits for endangered species uh, for crocodilians, anything. There's different varieties of dangerous or professional level animals that they consider. And so permitting for rear fang venomous animals permitting for North American native venomous animals, uh, and then permitting for things like croc monitors, lace monitors, and Komodo dragons. 
obviously not Komodo dragons because no one yeah. has them. They just included them um, as being the largest Varanids. They, they are in, included. <laughs> right. Um, and then uh, also for any kind of crocodilian. And so we, we have all that permitting aside from uh, full-on venomous. We, we've chosen not to go that route currently. Um, but that particular facility was a ZAA facility. And most of their uh, permit needing animals came through AZA and ZAA loans. And so those animals will actually go back to their home facility uh, when, when this new closes. Oh, okay. And so the things that will come out to the public sector, privately owned, whatever you want to call it, uh, will just be educational outreach type species. And now I'm a turtle freak. And I and so awesome. what, what giant <laughs> what giant turtles do you have? Uh, alligator snappers. They are an endangered species in Illinois, so we use them for teaching conservation and stuff with uh, scout groups, things like that. We have a very large common snapper, uh, Florida uh, soft shell. My son is my son is the turtle nerd in our family. Uh, I enjoy it, but he is super into it. Um, he is obsessed with the Maremus genus, so we have most of the Maremus genus. Um, we have a huge assortment of slider and pond turtles. What's Sorry, the what? common name for the genus that you just said? Mare- the genus yeah. Maremus is um, uh, Vietnamese pond turtle, Japanese okay. pond turtle, all the Asian pond and sliders. Okay. I'm not a turtle person. So- so. Hey, yeah. I, I am too, but as a biologist, I was always taught about the game animals and game upland birds. And I've just been my painted turtles in my living room and, you know, in a tank in the bedroom. Yep. And I mean, I, I, there are a lot of things about turtles. I wouldn't call myself a turtle nerd. I'm a turtle fancier. I don't know all the genuses <laughs> and families of turtles out there. I just haven't taken, oh, the, for sure. taken the time to do so, especially the exotics, you know, the ones outside the country. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm like when you said uh, the alligator snapper is endangered in Illinois, um, you know, I would, it's never been native there, has it? Yes. Oh, so, see, uh, learn something new. Most of the, <laughs> that's why we do. This. Illinois is weird. <laughs> Illinois, people think of Illinois as prairie, like the prairie state. That's literally what they call it. Um, Illinois was heavily forested and swamp coming out of, Lake Michigan, and then Prairie as it progressed west. And as it progressed south, it was a just a gigantic forest. And so currently, in the very far southern portions of Illinois, you'll find an incredible variety of, of reptile uh, species. And things like timber rattlers, they're supposed to be here. They haven't been seen in the northern half of Illinois in 100 plus years, just because of the development. As soon as you cross to Wisconsin, which has a much more pristine habitat throughout most of their state because it's much more rural, it, it's very common to find timbers. Uh, Massasagas are endangered in Illinois. You go west and super common. You go west of Illinois and alligator snappers are very common. Um, coach whips are endangered in Illinois, ornate box turtles, just weird things that are not 
nearly as uncommon in the rest of the country because we're we end up being that divided border and have such diverse habitat that at one time we had a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and as we start to make it a monotypic habitat we lose a lot of that well illinois does have the third biggest city as well so like right now you are talking about i drove through chicago once i don't want to do it again uh (laughs) yeah yeah the impact of that is incredibly far-reaching it it really is yeah it has to be i I can imagine and then yeah we're in the prairie kind of yeah well we're losing we're losing a lot of the prairie from the industrial farms moving in here and drain tiling the marshes and ponds and so Right. You know, essentially, we've lost the Blanding's turtle. Um, it hasn't been same. Now it hasn't been seen again. Before. Another endangered species yes. in our state. Yeah. Well, they're they're even saying, well, it's you know, it hasn't been sighted for three decades or more, and you know, and that's you know because uh, I think uh, what is I attended a symposium a couple of years ago, um, uh, and they said South Dakota has drained the most of our ponds and marshes compared to any other plain states due to um, big agricultural firms um, buying up family farms and drain tiling. And of course, this upsets yeah. everybody from Canada all the way down to you know Mexico because of the Migratory Bird Act. You know, all of a sudden there's not right. the over you know the the places they can stop on the way, and so. You know, um, we are going to be, um, I was, you know, the painted turtle, oh, it's, it's, it's native everywhere. Well, you know, we are going to be losing that one, just like, uh, the, uh, all the other states because of all the ponds that were, and, and not only from the draining, but the, the droughts are drying up a lot of the ponds and the turtles are all dying on the road, trying to find another place to live. So, uh, I just, you know, are so besides the urban sprawl you talk about, have you seen, you know, the, the droughts in your area? Are you getting more floods? You know, what, what are you seeing? It's, it's, a, it's actually more flooding by us um, in that, like, people discount that. Like, they actually, sorry, I'm going to plug in so I don't yeah, die no on worries, you guys. Man. They, um... When you, I love when people talk about prairie stuff. Um, <laughs> people, I, I'm, I'm just a nerd in general. So, mm-hmm. um, people discount that in that they think prairie. So, and people, oh, it's just like a, a sea of grass. Yeah, except you don't understand, like when people talk about meadows and how marshy those things are, and is it a sandy soil? Does it progress into open spaces and like? how diverse of a habitat a prairie actually is as it progresses through soil types and and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And so for you guys, as people don't get it when they're like, Oh, you're, you're tiling and and, and drain tile and things Mm -hmm. and and doing all this stuff like, but they're not taking away grass because they need grass for their agriculture or or what have you, even if you're doing giant ranching or something, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, Yes and no, because <laughs> uh-huh. little animals don't care if the ground is soft. Mm-hmm. Really big animals care if the ground is soft. Mm-hmm. So you need a sea of grass across the Dakotas, across any of these states where you want to have a whole bunch of things that eat grass. Mm-hmm. 
What you don't need is a sea of marshy grass with sand because they can't walk yeah. in it. Cal- <laughs> but Blanding's turtles love it. Yeah. Well, right? and, and, you yeah, well, and and what the, a lot of the farmers and ranchers don't realize is when they do drain those marshes and ponds and and uh, their water table drops, and all of a sudden their right. their their dugouts for their cattle go dry, you know. And so right. you know, it's it's a matter of you know this was really well known by the farmers and ranchers when I grew up in the '60s and '70s, primarily grade school in the '60s. And every farmer and rancher wanted those those ran, um, those marshes because oh that meant meant they had great waterfowl hunting and great upland bird hunting and right. and so I, I was just you know um, having the conversation of you know the the pheasants where our pheasant numbers are dropping I go well that's because there's no more cattails out there to protect them in the blizzards <laughs> you, know, you know the yep. we've lost a lot of that you know we have the same winter thing winter cover you know and they go well you know it's all the it's all the predators that are killing the pheasants and i go always number one think of habitat then number two you know and i said they'd be safe if they had enough habitat to protect them from the predators and you know blah blah yep. blah, blah you know and so you know but we're seeing that with the reptiles you know joel and i rewilded our yard and all of a sudden we've got four species of garter snakes out there and the, the neighbors, you know, are like, oh, my God, you're going to bring all these snakes in the neighborhood. And I go, yeah, but, you know, our, our, our soils are copper deficient. So the snakes are eating the rodents that will eat your vehicle wires. That would, that's what happened to the neighbors three doors down because they didn't have yep. cats. They didn't have snakes because they mowed everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, the rodents are eating their vehicle wires and they had to have, you know, their vehicles towed. <laughs> And rewired, and I said, "So thank you." I said, "So you're welcome." And 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 Joel and I bringing all these snakes back to this area, <laughs> you know. And we live yeah. on you know three, four acre little estates, and so we have a lot that we can rewild and you know and bring back these very cool. Things. So now your facility, you know, is you know you, where mm-hmm. you do your reptile keeping. Um, yeah, I you know we'd like to hear more about that, and and you know. And do you keep some at home and then do you rotate, you know, to your facility and back? I mean, let's, let's hear about what all you do. (laughs) So, uh, we currently only have one reptile at home. We have a red tegu that Teresa is raising. Um, we at one time had all the reptiles at home and essentially ran out of space. And so moved to a facility. And then that first iteration of our facility was honestly just to, allow us to have a larger collection uh, for the purpose of doing more shows, doing larger festivals and things where we needed uh, larger display uh, items. And is this and a, now, a facility that is in an industrial area or a retail area? Nope. They've, they've are both times we've done it so far. They've both been storefronts. Okay. Um, this current iteration was a tanning salon before we started renting it. And so it had way overbuilt electrical, uh, which was something we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And then what would be the separate rooms for each tanning bed so a person can have privacy, we just took the doors off and now have a snake room and a lizard room and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the, it's main floor on, on Main Street of our town and then has a basement 
that's the full length. And so we put all of the, anything with water essentially went in the basement. Cause I was really worried about weight right. because we get like our, our smallest thing that contains water is like 150 gallons and it goes up from there. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of water in our basement. And so we were concerned about the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then in the basement, there was a, uh, a partitioned area that was for spray tan. And so it already has drainage in the floor. Oh. And so the, the next step is that that room will, we currently have two uh, American alligators wow. and that room will be there with well, that room will be their permanent uh, home. Okay, yeah. Well, barring my ability to potentially buy a much larger building. <laughs> maybe. How, how big, how big are, it, that's always the dream. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's what I want to do here. So, so how, big, how big are the gators now? Our smallest is about three feet, and our largest, she's closer to four. Okay. Okay. And so both of those came, um, a lot of things that we get that are on that spectrum, uh, we're inspected and insured and and all the official things you have to be. And so when things come to the state that folks shouldn't have had or came in some nefarious way, Mm -hmm. um, they usually end up coming to people like us. Because a, a large zoological institution already has five gators. They don't need two more. Yeah. You know? right. um, so one of our alligators was found on the steps of a veterinary clinic in Wisconsin last February mm. and came to Not us. Not a time. Uh, and the, Not a time happened? to be leaving a gator outside uh, in no, Wisconsin. No. <laughs> um, and the, but Indiana and Wisconsin... Uh, and Missouri are, are a little bit weird states in that you can own a lot of stuff there. Um, and awesomely enough, a, a lot of negative things don't really happen. They, they don't have the, the bites or letting animals loose or a lot of the inappropriate stuff you hear about in the yeah. news. Um, the, the Midwestern states that have more loose laws have, have had good luck with people acting appropriately which is yeah we cool. don't have yeah. any um, laws here oh yes we do. <laughs> well there's one turtle yeah. law written in the fishing handbook but like venomous there's no regulation nothing really see there's that's nothing. the thing is a lot of laws are centered around animals that are native turtles usually falling with fishing uh, yeah. guidelines and, and things like that um in illinois of course is very different <laughs> yeah <laughs> Lots of laws. Well, you have Chicago right there. So, (laughs) yeah. And so the other alligator uh, came to us through someone, brought it from a different state, posted on Facebook, trying to be cool with an alligator. Uh, That was taken away from them because they, aside from the silliness of the Facebook part, once our our state herpetologist is actually really cool, Uh, he's not a bureaucrat. He is a nerd. He keeps tricolor hog oh, nose. Cool. Like he, he's a herper. Um, and so even when people mess up, like if you, if you get caught, like, Hey, you did the wrong thing. They'll tell you what the right thing is. Oh, and then give you the opportunity to do it. If you choose. Oh, nice. Um, so that, that, that particular. So had that person ahead, said, sorry. so so that person would have said, "Oh, I need this permit." And they would help him get that permit to right. keep it. Wow. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. They chose not to go that route, um, and so it ended up coming to us after all of the official progression. Um, in Illinois, when it comes to anything, they they separate venomous between uh, actual venomous, as in vipers, uh, rattlesnakes, and the like. Uh, you're only allowed to have North American native. Uh, and then that is a specific license. We have a secondary license that it covers anything that is rear fanged minus boom slangs. They are not included. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that particular licensure also covers uh, crocodilians. And if we chose to add uh, something like a croc monitor or a lace monitor. Mm-hmm. The caveat to that is you have to be insured, you have to be inspected, and you have to do six bona fide educational demonstrations a year oh, at a wow. minimum uh, in, in order to possess those things. You can't simply own them as a pet. And so what are these permits so, cost? Our, <clears throat> our endangered species permit is actually free in Illinois. You just have to meet all of their guidelines. And there are there are limits to how many you can possess. Um, you, you have to prove they're captive bred, obviously, or collected from a state that does not list them as endangered. Yeah, um, and then the actual venomous, what have you, um, that particular permit is $250 every year. You have to be inspected. You don't have to be, I should say. You have to be willing to be inspected annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then whenever they ask, they have to give you notice. Right. They're not, they don't just walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually a public facility. So like, yeah. we don't care. Like they just call us and are like, mm-hmm. Hey, can you come open the door? Like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> right. you know, yeah. It's, it, it's not in our home. So we don't have any, we don't really have privacy concerns or, or that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was structured in that way, kind of on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like if if they tell you you have to be insured, inspected, and do these educational shows, you most likely don't keep it in your home. It's probably a business. It's probably yeah. you know they were trying to encourage people to go that route anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and even so, there are still very few of us. I think there are maybe twelve permit holders in all of Illinois wow. uh, that have and and that I know of. I think we might be the only people that have rear fang. Um, I know the state herptologist keeps them personally mm-hmm. and he has all of his stuff, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he like they're obviously downstate Springfield, Southern part of the state. And so for him to come to Chicago, which is where most of the animal educators are because of the population base, mm-hmm. um, he has to drive by us. We're like the farthest <laughs> South from Chicago before you get to actual Illinois. And so <laughs> Yeah, there just aren't very many of us that do it. I mean, it, the insurance is kind of expensive, and mm-hmm. you can't just have it for fun. Right. And in our case, like, it's an alligator. They get gigantic. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not it's not a simple thing. How, you know? how no. are working with the alligators? Like, I'm how, sorry, how is working with the alligators? Like, do you... It's actually awesome. Um, there is... A gentleman who used to do uh, alligator shows. You guys ever heard of Bubba the Alligator? It's like the famous NARBC alligator. I okay, think, so maybe NARBC is the big time reptile show in the Midwest, yeah, right? Really and the guy in front of it 
who always had the gigantic alligator. That gator's name was Bubba. Mm-hmm. And he always, and when I was coming up in reptiles, I didn't totally get it until I started to work with crocodilians more. Al- crocodilians in general are really smart. Right. And so they do wonderful with station training, with target training. Oh with, they, they, they get it. They're still very food driven. So it's, it's easy to, to treat, train them. Essentially. I use croc biscuits from Missouri. Mm-hmm. They know what it is and it's cleaner than using a frozen thawed mouse or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the huge upside and the reason that everyone who does what we do uses alligators is natural history. Mm-hmm. Alligators typically, for one thing, females are way smaller than we all think. All the monsters that we all see on TV or saw in natural history books are super old males. Mm. And so it will take a very long time to get a 600-pound, 12-foot alligator. It's just a, it's a rare right. thing, mm-hmm. right? An 8- or 10-foot alligator is still a big, dangerous animal. <laughs> but it's not, it's not the monster you, you think of in your head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at, at the zoo. And now I... And I, and I no, you really don't go into breeding. And so um, getting those right. animals to breed size isn't a priority for you. So, no, not at all. And so um, you do you want to keep the gators smaller and feed them? No. Oh. Um, it For us, it's, it's twofold. Um, one is we are we're much more into like naturalistic setups and, and that kind of thing. And, and I think that's fun. And I enjoy that part. Uh, Teresa is an incredible DIY handy person. She loves building things and is super skilled. And so it's, it's more about that part of it. And then, so if you're going to build like that so that it looks like that, then our parameters are probably going to fit that. So they'll, they should hopefully, um, grow as they naturally would, mm-hmm. which is fairly quick because they're, you know, trying not to be eaten by bigger gators in the wild. Um, the other part of that for us is like, I don't mind. I, I enjoy <laughs> working with really big stuff. Yeah. And so Teresa wasn't a reptile nerd when we first met, but obviously is now she does more shows than me. Um, but and I'm not being insulting because we're married. <laughs> she's not small. She's a Kansas farm chick. Like she's built to throw hay bales. She's a big lady and she's very strong. Um, she works at a hardware store. She knows her way how to swing a hammer. She's, she's a strong chick. Um, and so like, we don't have any concerns. Yeah, very much so. Um, we, we don't have any safety concerns when it comes to that. Uh, aspect of of large animals and so that's not an issue as much of an issue for us it is for anybody just in you know general safety yeah. like not to be silly foot, you know their foot yeah. snake is still a dangerous snake yeah big yeah, is big, it's a big snake you know it doesn't other. matter that i work out it's a big animal um but as far as moving things and you know getting the water you know the actual physical elements of working those animals you got to be working it right um and so that's not as much of a concern for us the the plus side to alligators that um and i'm going to caveat this before i say it 
any crocodilian is not a pet. Right. They are a terrible idea for a pet. If you don't intend to publicly display them or you are not very, very independently wealthy, <laughs> you should not own them, um, in my opinion. That being said, doing what we do, um, alligators are the best fit for it for a couple of reasons. Caiman are awesome in their size, if you use the two dwarf right. species. Mm -hmm. Black caiman get gigantic. They're not dwarf anything. They're huge. Mm -hmm. um, but because dwarf caiman are small, people think dwarf caiman are mean. They're not mean. They're scared of you because you're a big, scary and monkey, and they're not very big. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you are much bigger than them. You are a legitimate danger to them, and so they're very defensive most of the time. That's perfectly understandable. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes to all giant reptiles and, and the experience that I've had with them. Alligators aren't so much scared of you. Alligators are pretty big. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're a big monkey, but they're a big old dinosaur. And so right. the, the fear, the aggression, I'm scared, get away from me, mm -hmm. those actions really don't happen very much for alligators. Uh, you do have to worry about sexual aggression and territory, that kind of thing for males, mm -hmm. obviously for most large animals you do. Um, but otherwise the issues that people have are big things are expensive to feed right. because it costs a lot of money and you don't want to be around a hungry alligator if you don't have food <laughs> because that's, you know, now, your food. now the issue becomes when you extrapolate that to other crocodilians. Mm -hmm. Actual crocodiles do hunt large mammals. Yeah. You you qualify yeah. <laughs> as a medium to large size mammal. Mm -hmm. And it's just a natural history thing, right? If you progressively throughout the year feed an alligator, slow down in the winter months, do exactly what would happen in Florida, good to go. Mm -hmm. They they generally don't eat very large things. They eat a lot of mid-sized things turtles, other alligators, ducks. I can fake that as adults with chickens, fish. I, I can simulate that with whole prey items of an appropriate right. size. Mm -hmm. When you get to a crocodile, the way they live their lives is to periodically attack high-risk large mammals and it's high-risk, high-reward. And so they don't they likely would, then there are places that have success with station training and target training and things like that <laughs> on the, the treat aspect when crocodiles are younger. Mm. Larger crocodiles want to eat really big stuff, and they don't want to eat it all the time. They want to eat, be as lazy as possible, make some babies, and then eat again. Mm. That lends itself to them being more dangerous to my situation. Yeah, right. Because my goal is for the public to be able to interact with an animal. Mm -hmm. And they can't yeah. if it naturally it naturally acts that way. Yeah. It it's an alligator isn't gonna be like, oh, if I take a toddler today, I won't have to eat in six months. <laughs> that that's just not the process. Right. right? Mm -hmm. It's well, every couple of days the dude with the rabbits shows up and so we're cool. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. Uh -huh. Whereas a, a crocodile just doesn't process in that way. Yeah. And then a lot of the crocodiles that are available to us in the United States are Central American. 
those animals are fast and incredibly food driven because a lot of things in, in central America that are large predators eat migratory fowl for the most of their formative years. And then as they become large animals, they eat obviously larger mammals Mm -hmm. again, high risk, high reward. Mm -hmm. And so if you talk about something like a Cuban crocodile, that you a, a person in the United States might have access to, you're talking about something that can run faster than you, jump higher than you, oh my. climb, and and likes to eat big mammals. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't no, compute, no, no. right? You're, right. You, no, no one pets you. Don't pet those. <laughs> That's not how that works. Oh, and so it's it's really about picking picking animals that naturally do the things that you want them to do. Yeah. Right. Tegus are really big, but they come from temperate places and they hibernate. Mm -hmm. And so they naturally like to sit behind your butt because you're warm (laughs) and hide in your hoodie and eat, you know, the tegu chow that I make. They like to eat whole prey sometimes and occasionally take some fruit. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Great. (laughs) You know, uh, an Indonesian monitor species of the same size is scared to death of being eaten by a cat or an eagle, Mm. wiry and fast, and uses its bird face to get bugs out of trees. It does not want to hang out with a six-foot monkey. (laughs) You are scary, and it's got other stuff to do. Right? Like, you, you just pick things that make sense for what it is you're doing. Yeah. And if, if you're building a, a cool vivarium in your living room, and you want to make an awesome tree hollow and put some endo monitors in there and watch them eat superworms or roaches, I would stare at that all right. day. Now, an endo <laughs> monitor is how big? Depending on what it is, um, something like a spinulosis or um, peacocks or anything like that are, are small. You're talking 18 to 24 inches. Oh. You can go all the way up to a blue-tailed monitor can be similarly sized to an Argus, but more slender bodied mm-hmm. um, up to a crocodile monitor, which is the long, one of the longest animals in the world and has the largest tooth to body size ratio of any land oh, mammal. Man. Like yeah, they're, no. they're scary. <laughs> um, but, it, but again, there are like something like a crocodile monitor. Mm-hmm. The, to me, for my purpose, it would be a monstrous display. I would yeah. build trees and you'd wow. see that's right. what I would be using it for. Mm-hmm. And so cool. Mm-hmm. But having it be really big and beautiful makes sense for me. Yeah. <laughs> but then if if you are a pet owner and you want to interact with an animal, it doesn't it doesn't compute. Yeah. You know, it especially those things like you don't have tree bark as skin. Yeah. So when it when it wants to climb you, you'd better be wearing jeans and a really thick shirt. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I even have that with my green iguana. Mm-hmm. And that's a super common kind of like cliche joke reptile pet. Mm-hmm. My green iguana's fifty inches long oh, and when yeah. he uh, he can climb to your head in a quickness. Mm. And we don't trim his claws because I keep him in a naturalistic setup, so he has to be able to climb. Wow. He, he's going to stick him in your shoulder and climb on top of your right. head so wh- because that's what iguanas do. What is the- I mean, it's, it's not an aggression thing. It's a, <laughs> You're just a tree. That's just what they do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You're just a tree to so them. How, how- <laughs> yeah. 
So how many um, square feet do you have in your uh, main floor and then the basement? You said it's the same. Oh, let's see. Main floor is. How, how wide? How Actually, long? both. It's 2200 per floor. Okay. Yeah. 4,400 square feet total. <clears throat> That's not bad. Nice. That's pretty good. And how fun. big a facility are you hoping to find or buy? <laughs> <laughs> as big as I can. Um, You're not filled up there. So, <laughs> the, we, we're pretty close to full oh. um, only because of the size of enclosures that we use. Um, like our Argus are in an eight by four by four, our rhinoceros iguanas in an eight by four by four, the retics are an eight by four by four, the green iguana is seven long, six high, and four wide. Um, Man. and it so that just that eats up that eats up some yeah. real estate, yeah. Um, now are you and then a, in, in the basement, go ahead. I, go I ahead. Was sorry, say, um. Sorry, you are uh, are a five hundred one c three, so you can um, get. Uh, um... We aren't really. So nope. We are just a plain old business. Um, so what we do is, so when we were affiliated with the rescue, Teresa and I were board members for the rescue. It was its own entity, and then our um, our work for the charity or, or whatever you would call it was when they did outreach, they would use our animals as in to do outreach, uh, fundraisers, take, take a selfie with a boa to raise funds kind of thing. They would use, that's what we contributed was we were their outreach. And so we would just volunteer our time and use our collection to help them fundraise. Yeah. Um, which was awesome because it, we love doing that anyway. And then it was supporting charitable stuff. Um, the zoo, the zoos were the same way when they were doing fundraisers and things like that. You know, they would do the hang out with the giant snake day and take a picture and, you know, outside the zoo or what have you. And they, we would use our animals to help with that. And then the funds would go to that facility or wh whatever the case may be. So does Illinois allow you to have like a, a GoFundMe page without being a 501c3? Or Ooh, I don't know. I've never tried that. You know, because I'm not sure. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I just know, um, you know, in the state of South Dakota, uh, in order to accept donations, you know, you have to be, um, you know, oh yeah, a five, for sure, yeah, five hundred one, and you know, so uh, we're friends with the the Raptor Rehabilitation. Um, oh, very cool facility, and and Joel, um, he used to um, be a falconer, and and that's where some of our first dates were out on falconry hunts <laughs> and uh yes and, and, okay and so um uh, yeah uh, we we knew we found our partner when you know most of our dates were outdoors doing falconry and and uh herping and <laughs> like how, how big a bull, very cool how big a bull snake can we find <laughs> and so uh um you know i you know i i've been encouraged by you know people to put together a larger reptile facility but i um in rescue i've had to turn away some but you know um, i both of us make most of our money as artists and we sell our work in galleries and stuff mm -hmm. and so you know there's a, a limit you know artwork is very time uh, 
you need a lot of time to produce it. And so, of course, and so um, that limits our reptile and and raptor keeping. <laughs> but yeah, um, but so now you are um, like, what percentage of your time um, goes into? So <laughs> I, I'm actually very glad that you asked that. Um, so Teresa and I both have full time jobs, wow. and we we have this this whole time. Um, I I'm trying to think of how to say this and not sound rude. Um, I do pretty well for myself. <laughs> and so that is the only way that we were able to do this originally. Um, starting out as ours is a little different because we obviously use the collection to do shows and stuff. Um, that did not pay enough right. <laughs> not nearly enough uh for the collection that we had and have now um it does now which is awesome um but we started out and like made the facebook page and did all that stuff in 2012 so it's been you know it's been over 10 nice. years um and and we do we do good now um we are kind of at our limit where one of us would have to work less in order to do more shows type of thing. Um, our, our kids do help, which is cool. Um, there are, there are rules in Illinois for how old you have to be in order to do some stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, our middle daughter is most involved, but she is still a minor. Mm -hmm. And so that has an effect on some things. Uh, in the state, which is kind of funny because she hangs out with zoo professionals and is she's basically a professional. She's just not 18, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of those things. But um, yeah, I mean, it's I don't we don't we I say I shouldn't just say I Teresa is in the same boat. Uh, we don't have days off. We right. That's not a thing. Uh, those animals we still do all of our lights and stuff manually. Uh, our, a lot of the water and misting and things, we have obviously set up and automated some things, mm -hmm. uh, but you still have to fill them. Right. <laughs> they don't fill yeah. themselves. Right. Um, right. Tur turtle filters are gross. When you have a lot of them, <laughs> it's a lot of gross stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it is its own, like that's, I don't know, like when everybody, I think, or I, I don't know, maybe not if you didn't grow up how I grew up, but like when you were growing up, your family did something, whatever it was, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Like my kids growing up, this is what our family does. Mm -hmm. Like we, we have hobbies and we go to stuff and, and the kids are all in sports and school things and normal yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, if you ask my kids what our family does, they're like, Oh, we have a building full of reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> And also, you know, they play volleyball or basketball, uh, or whatever. But like, that's, I mean, that's what we do. It, we're really lucky in that our, the town we live in is small. So our house is only a couple blocks away. Um, my oldest daughter now works uh, also downtown in our town. So when she gets off work, she'll go turn off lights or, or something like that. Because she's 16. So she's old enough to, you know, be responsible with lights and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's every day. 
There is oh, not yeah. a day that we don't, you know, feed something, clean something. And we, we've never, we, I am, I'm a reptile nerd in that I, I would have a reptile collection, even if I didn't have this business. Mm-hmm. If I had a reptile collection, I would have been much smarter with how I set it up <laughs> in that you either keep desert stuff or tropical right. stuff, ah. or you have some of this or some. Usually people's collection has a theme or a follow of, of some kind. Mm-hmm. We don't have that because we're trying we do so many different kinds of shows that our collection is so diverse. We really can't, we can't do that. We have tropical and grassland and desert wow. and tarantulas and turtle, all of the above. And so bug eaters want to eat all the time. Yeah. Salad eaters want to eat kind of all the time. Maybe not depending. Is it something that hibernates? Is it equatorial? Are we always worried about humidity every day because we live in Illinois? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there's nobody is aside from snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody is on the same schedule, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, turtles. Yes. But we have turtles that eat turtle pellets and we have turtles that eat rats. <laughs> like we have, it's even, <laughs> that's not the same, you know? Um, and so, yeah, there's, it's not the same thing mm-hmm. to do, but there's always something to do every day. Do you, right. Do you find that not having, so you said that you have like snake, your snakes, and then your lizards divided up. Mm-hmm. Do you find it harder to do it that way versus like a desert room and a tropical room? And uh, yeah, why did you choose to go questions. separate things versus yes, Yes and no. Um, Initially, we chose to do uh, snakes separate because I did um, like boa file stacks and I had a lot of modular enclosures. Uh, I didn't really have rack systems for bigger stuff. I've used a baby rack. Um, I have one adult rack now uh, because we have moved into brumating some of our colubrids. And so I wanted them to have a dark separate space. Um, but yeah, for a long time, it was just the fact that we were using modular enclosures for snakes, uh, things that were stackable and came in like sets, yeah. you know? Um, and then a lot of our lizards were smaller things, crested geckos, you know, the things that you would show to kids. And that was exoterras or Zilla enclosures or, you know, a baker's rack of glass boxes yeah. type of thing. Um, and so it just kind of divided out that way. Um, in the front of our shop, where the bigger stuff is, it is a little more separated in that way. In that, um, like, the rhinoceros iguana has two enclosures above it that are, man, four by four by three or something crazy. Um, well, that's our brettles and our hog island. Uh, the hog island likes it hot, just like the rhinoceros iguana does. The brettles does, but doesn't really care. Yeah. So he's on the opposite end. Um, all of our invertebrates are above our Argus monitor enclosure. And so they don't need any supplementary heat or anything. It's just a giant hot box and they sit on top of it. <laughs> and so some of those things were 
a little more designed uh, in groupings. Our beardeds are on in like a weird stack. So the top of the stack is, ooh, it's eight by, I think it's basically eight by two by two. So there's a pair of beards in there. And then below that are little cubes. And those are uh, a Euromastix, some leopard geckos, just a bunch of hot, dry stuff. Mm-hmm. And our um, Burmese python is in a very, very large vision enclosure. That's on top of our water monitor enclosure. Mm-hmm. And so I can combine uh, fogging for that. It's all, it's all warm and wet and gross. <laughs> uh, um, Interesting. Stuff like that. Some, some of the bigger, the bigger things we were able to better group. Uh, with the smaller stuff and the mid-sized snakes, it's just nowadays the way the hobby is, it's so easy to get modular enclosures that I just wanted to go that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at. I'm looking at making getting new caging soon. So, <laughs> yeah, now that you know your woman tells you you must. <laughs> well, yeah, she's going to be buying snakes now. That makes me real happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One thing that we have, um, yeah, I've been watching the Turtle Survival Alliance, and every time they have one of the yeah, yeah that one of the symposiums, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is you know pleading for any knowledgeable reptile keepers to get on a list to help them with the confiscations. And you, um, yeah. you are sounds like you are on that list. <laughs> with you taking we we've we've not done. Uh, the federal side, we have done the state side. Um, so the the one permit we don't have is we don't have our USDA Class C license. Um, it's not really a necessity in Illinois, uh, so we just did not go through the process for that at the time. Um, it's that one's a little bit weird in that most federal rules outside of turtles. Uh, which are really gaining traction, which is awesome. And then actually now amphibians, federally, a lot of uh, attention is being given to that, which is really cool. Um, most of the licensure and things like that on the federal side is geared toward hoofstock and big animals because it all stems off of agriculture as a base. And so even if you were to talk about zoo-type species, like a zebra is just a fancy horse, uh, you know, a, an emu is just a really big chicken. Like when you start to classify things and license things, they're they're treated in a lot of the same ways because they're those things are much more concerned with disease vectors yeah. and, and issues of, of that nature when it comes to agriculture. Right. And so a lot of the exotic keeping, um, if you go on the more federal licensure side, is for folks that want to do public displays of big mammals. Um, and that we never really fell into that. Um, our insurance quite specifically, uh, was more concerned with the licensure and things in our state. And so we just put a lot more emphasis on that. Um, I don't really advertise it a whole lot, but I do tell people when they ask, I actually work in federal law enforcement in my day job. And so I have a lot more exposure to that side of the world. Um, And yeah, it's, it's one of those things where um, federally it hasn't been as big of an issue in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because we bluntly just don't have a lot of things that people are trying to smuggle in traffic. Right. Um, it's a it's a much larger issue, obviously, in the American Southeast. Uh, when you talk about things like desert tortoises in the American Southwest, um, anything that would cross the Mexican border, uh, the ornate box turtle subspecies in Mexico, uh, you start to get a lot a lot more issues that would be um, federally regulated or involve federal intervention. And so just being located where we are, um, we absolutely can are able to participate as in, you know, having equipment and facilities. Um, but just, it would be, it would be really unlikely for them to find a shipment in Chicago or Ohio or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of those things where it ends up being logistics, yeah. you, you know, of, are you going to go to a sanctuary in Arizona when you're talking about desert tortoises? Or are you going to deal with the expense of coming to Illinois and, and right. that kind of thing? Well, um, you'd have to worry about having quarantine rooms because, you know, most confiscations, for sure. you know, for sure. they're all ill and been, yeah. And so they have to be, you know, veterinary and, and quarantined. Well, and folks don't think about, there's a lot of other um, aspects of that as well. Uh, working in the rescue uh, avenue that we did prior to this, there were some of those things where people did things they weren't supposed to do, and then animals had to be housed, you know, during a court case or something like that. Um, like that, that becomes its own set of issues and its own problems. And if something passes away, and then you know, do you do you freeze it or take it to a veterinary facility or how is it accounted for and all these weird things because you know in a confiscation situation until that has been legally resolved that animal likely isn't actually yours you are providing a service for the federal folks or the state folks or what have you because the fbi doesn't keep turtles in their base like they're not set up for that (laughs) right you know what i mean it's just not that's not how it works and so um we have had some of those things um it's always alligators or crocodiles of some kind when it comes to the midwest well people do stuff they're not supposed to and then they take that money and buy things to show off and show off animals are usually dangerous so that's how that happens the the Um, issue here is is i lived in michigan for a year and i went to the kalamazoo show and yeah i don't know if you've been to the kalamazoo show it wasn't all right I haven't, but I know it's where you're going with it. Okay. <laughs> I bought a I bought an al- a hat albino boa for $150 there. Mind you, oh. two tables down, there was a whole clutch of baby alligators for 89 bucks. And wow. I almost walked out with one because why the hell not? It's right <laughs> yep. there and it's even cheaper than the boa. Why why yep. I, I want an alligator? Who doesn't? Like, it's a dinosaur. You know? <laughs> I get it. So, no. When they're $89 at the Reptile Expo, that's really not That's yeah. really not okay. That's an impulse buy at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. I could have totally impulse buy a, an American alligator. The, the big downside for alligators, which is conversely also an amazing upside, um, is that they're 
a success story in America having been brought back from almost being extinct, but they were brought back through commercial farming and whatever your feelings are on commercial farming, um, it was incredibly successful. I like the taste and it brought the species back and (laughs) right. (laughs) I I definitely have eaten gator tacos. (laughs) They're amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, I've, I own two and have eaten gator tacos at a show where they were at. Um, (laughs) But anything that you can commercially farm in some respects, it's going to be cheap or cheaper than you think it, than you, then typically makes sense to someone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The, the venomous community has kind of gone through this a little bit where I, I was talking to some folks on, a bunch of different social platforms. I'm out in Pennsylvania right now for work and I was able to go to the oh, Hamburg no. show <laughs> and well, it's, it's always been a joke yeah. about the Hamburg show. Like you get a free Gaboon Viper when you go in, they're all crazy and all that. <laughs> that is not what I experienced at all. Okay. Um, I went there and it was nice. Everything was clean. It was all labeled. Like it was <laughs> super cool. But the venomous stuff was really expensive. Oh. And that is a hard contrast from 10 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago, what have you. And there are some people in the hobby that don't like that because it makes it harder when things are more expensive, which I understand. Um, but when you're in my position, like I've been doing this for a long time and have owned all sorts of crazy things. And I am totally fine with venomous stuff just being expensive for no reason, because that is a major limiting factor. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, if alligators are easily produced, they're bred for meat and leather and and fine. And if they were $500 or more per baby for you to get one as a pet, I'm totally cool with that because that's enough money to make you pause and then have to set up a baby to then be like, well, wait a minute. And if you sat and thought about it for a minute, 20 years from now, what are you going to do with a 10 foot, 500 pound gator? Like, you, you know, it's crazy. Owning them is crazy. Like I, I have a facility that I have animals in. I'm going to have to will to some of my kids. Like that's yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. So now your facility, how does it pay for itself? Um, um, do you get paid per show that you go out or, um, is it like a zoo that they come, come into your door and they pay to come in and both. Okay. So most of our revenue is shows that we travel to. Um, we did open hours, just kind of open to the public kind of thing where you would pay admission for a little while. That wasn't as successful as we thought initially. Um, it likely would be now. Just because in the Midwest, with the way social media is and, and all the different events and stuff that we go to, we've gained enough popularity that it it probably would. Um, but it would have to be when Teresa's off or I'm off or, yeah. you know, it's a crazy scheduling thing. Um, but most of the stuff that is in the facility are private shows. Uh, we do a lot of walking field trips. Oh. So elementary schools that, that do... You know, they walk to the bank and then they walk to us or, you know, different things to see businesses and stuff. 
we do a lot of scout groups, um, charity groups, places that don't have their own like place to meet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can have their meeting oh. at our place instead of us coming to their meeting, mm-hmm. that, that okay. kind of thing. Huh? Um, and then we actually go all over. Um, we are about an hour and a half, maybe hour and change south of Chicago. But we have done shows in St. Louis. We've done shows in Iowa. We do a bunch of shows in Wisconsin and Indiana, pretty much everywhere in Illinois. Um, we we go. Wow. <laughs> um, we, we do a lot of shows. And so, yeah, the, the vast majority of the income is from shows we travel to do. Okay. Now, do you have a heated trailer or you only do that during the warm period of the year. <laughs> our our family vehicle is a full-size Nissan commercial van that has a passenger interior in it and that you can take the passenger portion okay. out. Oh. Okay. Well, that makes Interesting. Yeah, we Very just functional. said whatever and bought a van that you could put a Suburban in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it does, like, we have three kids. We have a 140-pound dog. We like to kayak and canoe and we we have a million other hobbies, and so we just bought a vehicle that you can throw any hobby you want in the back, living or not. Wow. <laughs> that's wow. that's what yeah, I've been thinking our van's a little small. We have three kids too. So <laughs> like our van's getting a little so small here, actually. So here's the crazy thing. So the Nissan that we have is the NV. It's it's the big van. So we got the thirty five hundred, which is a full one ton oh. van. With the passenger interior, it'll tow like 8,400 pounds, and it was the same price as a new minivan. Oh. It was like low, wow. low 40s. Wow. It was like the low 40s when we bought it. Uh-huh. So I looked at, and we bought it when our kids were, were much younger. We bought it in 2015. Um, and so our oldest at that time, she was like nine. Um, so if you look at a minivan, that's thirty five or forty thousand dollars, and you look at that. It was like forty two. That there's no question. Like, I could almost put a minivan in it, <laughs> and it'll tow. Yeah, no, that's minivans. that's, that's like, the big problem. We're we're struggling because we we want to get like a camper and do do some actual traveling and that sort of thing as a right. family, but. We almost can't all fit in a truck. Everybody's in car seats or booster seats. So <laughs> right. I'd have to get like a dually super wide cab. And that would, it's just, uh, yeah. yeah. And there's a huge expense with those yeah. things also. You know? yeah. yeah. Then you're paying for more fuel, <clears throat> better right. fuel economy, but way more expensive. Well, with- right. With that kind of vehicle, Bill, when your family wants to come out to the Black Hills of South Dakota for a vacation, we've got uh, a, a part of our three acres you can camp on, plug into electricity, and there you go. And then, and then you can use that as a home base, and we, I can pick your brain around the campfire about all the big reptiles. <laughs> That's uh, pretty much how a lot of our vacations go. <laughs> is uh, we just throw all of our stuff in that van and park it somewhere. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, because. Uh, yeah, we, we have so many national parks and state parks, you know, here in the Black Hills. Oh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That 
you know, we, we live in vacation land, you know, and which helps yeah. you know, Joel and I are both outdoor wildlife artists. And so we're always on the weekend, we're on vacation every weekend <laughs> in one of our yeah. national parks and we're always herping, you know, I, you know, for all of them, how many snakes that we, you know, stop the traffic and, and Joel uses his um, tripod, his camera tripod to move the snake off the road. And I go, we got to buy that hook, man. We, we do this way too often with your tripod and it gets full of venom in some cases, you know, cause you know, he used to work, For sure. he used to work at reptile garden. So he's comfortable with moving venomous snakes off the road and everybody's just like, Oh my God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, and you guys are within driving distance of one of the best collections yeah, in the world. Yeah. So. Well, and Joel used to work at Reptile Gardens. Peggy's right, right, right down the street, actually. Yeah. I'm 50 miles <laughs> right. away. Three miles or something, <laughs> you know, from Reptile Gardens. Yeah. yeah, and I've, I've helped feed an elephant trunk snake, you know, uh, sardines. And, you know, when they, it came in and he needed some, you know, to be force fed for a while. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place. For sure. Our last episode, <laughs> actually, we had... Alan Bosch on, um, mm-hmm. and he used to work at Reptile Garden. So there's some yeah. good stories yep. there. Yeah, there's boy, some really he's good quite stories. Quite a storyteller. Yeah, he, he was an alligator wrestler for <laughs> for Reptile Garden. So yeah, it's a fun conversation there. <laughs> so yeah, so, great. You know, we brought you here to talk about lizards because I'm a snake guy and Peggy's a turtle guy and we've kind of neglected <laughs> lizards and frogs and then we didn't really even talk about lizards too much. So well, we have out of all the monitor species, out of all the monitor species, throw tegus in there too because I think they're they're similar in my, in oh, my yeah, opinion. Oh anyway. yeah, sure. Uh, out of all those species, what 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 ones what ones are your favorites? I mean, I oh, know you, I know it's really hard to like pick the favorites, but like what, what do you um, enjoy working with, it, and then why? <laughs> or why? Or Ooh. the better question, I guess, would be why? What's your favorite part about the the monitors and the bigger lizards? So. Tegus, I would encompass in their own thing um, because they hibernate and because of the way that they live. Um, they, aside from when males want to find a lady friend, um, they act like cats. And so if you are just out and interacting with them and they're kind of aloof and will rub on you a little bit and use you for some warmth. And then when they're tired of your crap, they'll walk away. Um, (laughs) and it's, it's such a cool interaction. Like it, you can literally just sit crisscross in front of our Tegu enclosure. I'll open it and it will just get out and climb on you and like, check you out. Like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, um, so yeah, the interaction with them is, it's just so different. Um, monitors, monitors when they're little, like smaller species, like Ackies and things, um, the interactions are much different because they're using you as a jungle gym <laughs> and they're, you can coax them out with food and then they'll check the place out. And they're very, they're very bird in how they move and they check with their head and they're doing neck stuff. And, you know, they know where your eyeballs are all the time. And so 
I don't feel like I get as much out of that. I, I want to just set up a big enclosure and watch them do their own lizard thing without me because they're little. Um, my thing is my favorite to work with are Dumarill's okay. monitors, which are a mid-size Indonesian species. And they're basically just a ditch lizard <laughs> from the jungle. They like to dig up crawfish and stick their nose in things and climb on stuff. And um, I just had a blast with them because they're big enough that they can climb on you and, and interact, but they still have the bird face and they're very, I mean, they are turned on. They are, they look at your face. They know your eye. Like, what are you doing? If you're, you know, they watch your hands. If, okay, you're petting me. That's cool. You try to grab me. I'm going to run on your head. Like they're very, <laughs> they are switched on. Um, and I love that. I, I love those kinds of interactions. I had a great time uh, when I worked with those. I, I'm kind of dumb. And so I really, really want to work with a croc monitor for that exact reason. <laughs> I, however, I, here's my thing. I, on social media, I have made some funny TikToks, yeah. mostly yeah. kind of making, making fun of other social media people, mostly. Um, and then everything else we do is educational. We, we don't do uh, show off posts, that type of yeah. thing. Um, and so personally, I, that's the kind of thing, like, I think I can build that and I think I can have that interaction and I think I can be successful with that type of animal given its size and intelligence and, and all of the things that encompass that species. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't post it. I wouldn't because it, that's a stupid, dangerous thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I know that and I'm an adult and, <laughs> and with nobody else around other than my wife, in case it bites me in the face, I, I would like to work with that and attempt that. Um, but it's, Anything I show kids is going to be an Argus monitor or a water monitor hanging out, sitting on a Something leash. You can put on you the know. Leaf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. Um, but that's the thing, you know, for me is that's part of the reason we don't own Venomous. Mm -hmm. um, our whole thing is for people to interact with it, and you can't. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, we probably will just because um, we're, we do a pretty good job building enclosures. Yeah. Um, and I think we could build some really nice naturalistic stuff just to do some display species mm -hmm. to maybe add on to the educational things that yeah, we do. Local venomous like rattlesnakes and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, for us, yes. On, on that part, we actually work with some of the folks that work with the state. So they come here when they get new people to learn how to work with animals. Oh. And then we also do some shows for like institutions and, and like major facilities. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to be able to show them more and, and give them a broader lesson. Mm -hmm. um, like it'd be cool just to, for the public to be able to see it. Um, but it, 
most public shows, it's going to end at, oh, cool, you got a rattlesnake? That's awesome. And they're going to take a picture. And, and that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy for that. I, I want them to be excited. But it, it's not the same as me going to a museum and using it to help these people learn some aspect of their professional job. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the stuff for me, man, if dream species would be building it out for a croc um, and then never showing anyone. <laughs> um, In all fairness, if I got venomous, I don't know if I'd share that. <laughs> Because I don't know if I'd want anyone to know. It's not illegal yeah. or anything. It's just like, I don't know if I want anyone to approach me and be like, oh, you got this? Can I see it? No, no, it's in my bedroom, <laughs> locked up. That's the thing. <laughs> that's and that's, that is a, a thing for folks to consider as well. Is And that we don't really talk about a whole lot. Um, some of the stuff that I have is really expensive um and so it's in a commercial building and there's an alarm and a police station so i'm fine yeah. with that mm-hmm. um but it it would not be the same as you know you going on your instagram and telling someone you have something and then they know that it obviously is only at your home yeah. or you know there there is some aspect of that where you know that's privacy concerns and and there's a lot of costs associated with some things and then you know maybe people especially venomous venomous are very hot button people disagree with keeping them and people get very upset for a lot of those things and so having that be in your private life is it is an angle that's a little bit different mm-hmm. uh, that we don't necessarily have to worry about because it's a front-facing public building it's got a it's written on the window reptile petting zoo in like three foot letters. So everybody knows, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, w- it would be very, very different if things like that were in our home. I, I would probably tell far less people the number and type of animals <laughs> that we have. Yeah. I had a problem with that because I have a very rare turtle and you know, one particular entity was asking me some questions that, sent my alarms off and so i had to say hey you know i was a sharpshooter at the age of 12 i (laughs) i i had um, pulled a nine millimeter beretta against a rape gang outside of tucson i pulled one of my hunting rifles against two guys that said they were going to come and break in and party on me and you know and how i got them to stop putting their shoulder to the door was i said just give me excuse to kill another man and they like (laughs) another man and so they <laughs> left and i you know the i but then i ran to the grammar matters <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it yeah. Does. yeah and so you know and and i was interviewed on um uh you know about this that turtle and they and i said right. you know i said in south dakota if somebody's on your property to do harm they're usually armed and and we have st- you know stand your ground laws and you know, right. and I have a big dog and I have an ex-police guy right across the street who is also now military. And and we have really, really staunch um, neighborhood watch and we're all heavily armed. <laughs> and so that guy quit, you know, asking those types of questions, you know. I mean, you know, when you're offered tens of thousands of dollars for a turtle, you know, and then, right. you know, it, you know, you start, you know, going... Um, 
Yeah. You know, you put the word out there like, yeah, is it worth your life? <laughs> you know? You right. know? Well, um, and that's, I mean, even doing the public stuff for us has been kind of the same way of, you know, when we do a, like a festival type display, there are a lot of funds associated with that. And so I want to make sure it doesn't walk away and, and that kind of thing. Um, but then, you know, just the nature of, of it being a business to have an Instagram or, or things like that. Like anything I'm taking pictures of, you know, must be in that shop. Um, so yeah, it, it, it does add a, a layer to it. And then working with the big stuff, um, there's kind of secondary to that is like the macho thing of, I have more of a concern of, I don't, have nearly any concern of people stealing things. I have more of a concern of somebody trying to like, I'm going to take a picture with their giant snake or I'm going to show the lizard or whatever. And then you're going to get lit up by a 15 foot retic and it's going to be a really bad day for everybody. Um, you know, just that kind of thing. Um, we do have to worry about it a little bit at our public shows. Um, I look like this and Teresa has a uh, uh, resting face that does not invite people to talk to her. <laughs> and so it, it helps um, for whatever reason, man, it's, we do great mm -hmm. with kids. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, um, yeah. Shutting down some of the, the more silly uh, aspects of some of those things like that, that also is a part of working with giant stuff is, the, the people that just want to work with it because it's dangerous or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an aspect as well. You don't want your facility to be on the news for some BS. No, <laughs> well, that would be terrible. Uh, we've, we've been in the paper and, and all those good things and they were all positive. I, I don't want any of them to be negative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's why I have on, on my, our Instagram page. It's like, yeah, Joel and I, you know, Joel, my husband is a Kung Fu instructor <laughs> and we, yeah. and we both, you know, love the outdoors and, and we're artists and with scientific backgrounds. I put the, the Kung Fu instructor, you know, right at the, you know, uh, the third or fourth word in the sentence. <laughs> yeah. Just get it out there. <laughs> so I, I know you're not a zoo, but you're kind of like a zoo. Okay. Right. Um, so do you feel like as thinking of it as a zoo and no, like minus the, the show part out and the facility itself, do you think you're missing out by not having venomous because you you're missing only one of the big three? You've got big, huge lizards, a big, huge, you're going to have big, huge alligators eventually. And, and the only thing missing out of that equation from the zoo standpoint is the venomous. Right. Um, yes and no. Okay. Yes. In the sense of people coming to the facility uh, as a zoo, like as a tourist, thing, you know, come to the facility to see the animals. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, we are so it's twofold. Yes, for right. sure. Like they don't see a cobra and, and so they want to know where the cobra is. <laughs> um, the flip to that is we're small. And so, so a really big zoo 
has all of these things and and you walk around and see them and you go see the lion and go see the elephant and go you, you know um but they have and signage um what they don't have very much of is people to tell you about that yeah. stuff you walk around and read the signs and all the people are in the back taking care of those animals um so some zoos do like docents or volunteers and, and, and that kind of stuff to, to kind of overcome that. Um, that's where we are more fortunate because anybody, all three of my kids, me, my wife, whatever. Um, if you're in our facility, we can tell you anything about anything in there. And if it's me and a little bit Teresa, um, I can tell you anything about any reptile or amphibian you ever want to talk about because i'm a nerd um and so the selling point i guess um is if you come in and hang out and we go through all of the colubrids from north america that i have and you're there for an hour and then that was the hour you wanted to kill on your lunch and then you go home um Maybe somebody will ask you if you saw a cobra or not, and you'll be like, "No, I no, I didn't." But you're not gonna. Yeah, you had a personal experience. Yeah, you're you're not gonna miss it while you're there. I don't. I don't think. Um, from the standpoint of us doing shows, more like demonstrations when we're teaching, actually teaching, not just hanging out at the summer festival for pictures. Um, yeah, I, I do think there, there is a, a bona fide teaching aspect of that, that we could provide for people that we are, are missing out on a little bit by not having it. Um, that is one of those things though, where it's kind of a risk versus reward. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that. And I, we, we currently have connections to s- several different institutions that we could do that at. Um, do I need to have the risk to us to house and clean and maintain vipers in order to teach you about vipers that kind of thing? Um, and so right now with us not doing it full time, um, and honestly being as successful as we are without having it, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that adding it overcomes the risk factor and wouldn't that raise your insurance rates for sure yeah Yeah, absolutely um and we are also doing the rear fang thing um i can teach a lot using rear fang animals that is a viable lesson for folks to learn about the vipers or elapids that live in the same places as those animals and significantly lowers the risk to Teresa and myself and, and the public. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a workaround with the rear fang thing. Um, if you're actually into reptiles and are, are like one of us, um, rear fang stuff is actually a little more rare and, and not as widely kept as like Eastern diamondbacks or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they're cool and they're an iconic species to, you know, people would immediately know if they saw it. Um, but if I can take a boiga or a group of boiga or 
uh, false water cobra or uh, tricolor hognose or these things and and teach you about those. You know, you're talking about all the colors of the rainbow, a bunch of different sizes, and and there's there's six, eight, or ten lessons just in where those animals are from and what they eat, yeah. as opposed to you know seeing a messed up Western Diamondback in the wagon wheel thing that I built. Like that's super cool, <laughs> but it's also limited. Right. Yeah, you, right. you know, if from from the aspect of what of what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you, I can. Just to have one, I would for sure like to have one. Um, but yeah, it's 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 all through that lens of of how we use them, which is kind of what like Teresa makes fun of me for it a lot, and and she has on a bunch of podcasts and stuff. Um, so her thing is, she is a little bit of a reptile nerd, but she just likes to teach, and she's really good at it, and she's great with kids, um, and she likes tegus and fat brown snakes like she loves her Colombian rainbow boa she thinks olive pythons are cool like just monochromatic (laughs) fat snakes that no one cares about um she loves them she loves them all and and tegus because they're a fat lizard that sits in her hoodie she's a huge fan um whereas me like i know like i've read every book i could get my hands on i've been into this since i was seven right like i want to you know a puffing snake. I want it, you know, just crazy things uh-huh. of, that of course I want because they're like iconic species. They're always expensive because I want them. <laughs> um, you know, and then Teresa, her, her response is, you know, if I, if I showed up with man, I don't know, a, a morph Japanese rat snake or an albino Korean rat snake. I love those. Um, just something crazy. Right. And then I was teaching that lesson to an elementary school and I use that or use an albino corn snake. Would they know the difference or care? (laughs) Like I I will get the same results. They'll be, they'll, it's a yellow snake and it's orange and you know, all the cool stuff. I'm the only nerd that's going to know I'm holding a thing from Korea. They don't know, (laughs) you know? And, and so like, that's always her big thing is like, do you need another all black snake? We we have a black rat snake and a Mexican black king snake and an Eastern black king snake. How many black snakes do you need to own to teach about black snake? You know, like that's, or, you know, milk snakes or like how many tricolor snakes can you have? I'm like, well, there's a lot. Actually. <laughs> there are, if you, you know, there I mean, are really a lot, especially if you yeah. want to dive into venomous, then you're adding a whole nother yeah. bunch. But yeah, she, she is very much, uh, you know, do you need another soft shell turtle? I know it's from India, but it looks a lot like the one from Florida. And the Florida one was way, you know, yeah, like way cheaper. <laughs> yeah. And so she like she brings some levity to that of accomplishing what we're accomplishing with what we have is is awesome. And then here and there I add my own nerdery things that probably have no use for teaching whatsoever, but I love them, so I want to own them. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and and we kind of go that way. Um, But like, even for that stuff, like she loves to build things and and we do like the zoo poxy stuff and and different stuff that we have shown. Um, She's way better at painting and stuff than me. And and so like she, she does a whole other part of that, that I just bought a Boivany gecko. She doesn't even care 
that it's from Madagascar, or, you know, like <laughs> whatever. Um, you know, she's just really good at making fake tree bark or something like that. So when you're out herping with your family, I assume that you do that or you just end up doing that when you go out fishing or something. Um, do you encounter uh, a little bit of both? Okay. Do you encounter any invasives, uh, snakes out there? Um, I, Joel and I have found two Ooh. Colorado invasives, one in our yard, um, the red lined. No, yeah, we found a red. I have not had that red line that should be down in Colorado, and then we also found a, a king snake. Um, it was gorgeous, blue and rust. It was like, what the heck is this? It was run over in Wind Cave National Park, and then I had to look it up because I'm not familiar with you know all the snakes, and and I go, oh, sure. it's not even supposed to be here. So you know, we recorded you know the the location and wow. took pictures of it and all this sort of thing, and you know, then just you know, left it there because you're not supposed to remove anything from the national parks. Right. And right. I just wondered if you're seeing, um, you know, snakes that are invasive where you're at. No. Um, Illinois is kind of like most places where red-eared sliders are now considered uh, a native, more or less, even though there should only be in the river. Um, so, you know, we encounter those things. Um, our most of our encounters are usually telling the public um, and people because everybody that knows us or figures out because like I look like this. So a lot of people figure out the dude with the big red beard. I don't live in a big town, so it's not hard to figure out. I'm the guy <laughs> um, plus the giant van plus, yeah. you know, um, so it's, it's for us, it's more um, everybody always thinks they saw the endangered species as opposed to the common species. Mm -hmm. And then we end up identifying a bunch of stuff for people that know that's it's actually just a common snapper. I know as babies, they look really similar, but it's not, I promise. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. A lot of that kind of stuff. Um, we are really fortunate that close to us, there are some hognose snake populations, which are endangered in Illinois. And so we, we see a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't really run into the invasive side of things too much, aside from red ears, just being in places they shouldn't be yeah um yeah not not really which is kind of a yeah i'm, I'm surprised by fortunate yeah. but also surprising thing yeah yeah I, I mean we take pictures of it and record it and then you know and then uh yeah I, for sure i've got a scientific collector's permit with the state of you know u.s fish or excuse me south Dakota's um game and fish and awesome. you know i used to be uh work for South Dakota Game and Fish and uh, at Custer State Park as a wildlife interpreter. So I go around and explain how we manage the wildlife, how, you know, how we set, yeah. how we set hunting limits and you know, on all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, even, and, uh, and, and right now, you know, when I encounter invasives, whether they be snakes or turtles, um, if I'm not in the national parks, we collect the, uh, you know, um, we're going to start, removing the yellow bellies and the red ear sliders and, yeah. and such, you know, using the basking traps, um, you know, but, uh, very cool. Yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to, you know, to, to collect, uh, trap the red line snake that I, I mean, I was out gardening. I didn't have my camera with me and I, I was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> you know? And right. I mean, what a gorgeous snake. I mean, it puts our, you know, uh, we had three, we have three species of garter snakes in our yard now. And then that one surprised me. 
but you know, I'm always out there looking for it, you know, and, uh, I don't know if it stayed around or not, but I just, you know, I didn't know if they had you, you know, um, helping out with things like that at all. But we have several, uh, folks that were associated through the rescue that do quite a bit of that. Um, but yeah, it actually hasn't been nearly as much of an issue in Illinois. Um, we have had a handful of things released, things of that nature. Um, most were pretty rapidly caught. Um, we get a lot of weird phone calls for that. Ended up with an iguana that way, which was in a garage. <laughs> um, <laughs> so some of those kind of things. Okay. Um, but no, so far, fortunately, uh, nothing that was like established or out in a uh, you know some sort of wild uh, population or habitat. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, where can we see, um, uh, you know, really take a video tour of your facility? Um, do you, uh, Ooh. you know, so coal black exotics has Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, uh, and Twitter. What else do I have? I think that's it. Um, there is all kinds of stuff. Um, on, on all of those platforms, uh, I know we on YouTube and I think I shared that one to Instagram. Maybe, uh, we did a tour of the basement, which showed all of our ridiculous assortment of plants and turtles and things. Um, we've gone through, I don't think we haven't done a video tour of the current layout of the first floor. Um, but there's a million pictures, uh, that show that. All sorts of different enclosure setups, uh, what kind of lights and filters and stuff we use if people want ideas. Um, I've done several of the tutorials regarding the Zoopoxy for when you're uh, building things in enclosures. Uh, different setups for like some of the new things that we got, um, like black box enclosures. They sponsor the podcast that I do, so I showed setting up some of those. Yeah, that, those things are um, great. Yeah, they're really cool. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Different types of lights. Uh, we use, we've we used or use pretty much everything you can think of. Mm -hmm. um, I just started using uh, the foggers from Leap Habitats. Those are really neat. Uh, I, I showed some of those. Those are cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's definitely a picture or a short video of everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see you setting up a Patreon account and then um, having those uh, patrons um, have really specific um, tours uh, and, and educational spots, uh, you know, of you know, particular. We, we have thought about the Patreon uh, in kind of twofold. Um, when the COVID thing was going on, we did lessons. That's actually something you can find on YouTube as well. Um, we did lessons and put them on YouTube so that science teachers and kids that were doing stuff at home could follow along. So there's a whole short series of those on YouTube. Um, we thought about that in the Patreon uh, space where we would do, like, you could basically get a reptile show, but in that way. Um, so that's something that we have toyed around with. Um, kind of don't i mean i i've been doing it so i definitely don't mind um 
I don't mind just putting it out there for free. Like we do any, like that doesn't bother me. Um, the, the Patreon thing that we've actually had the most requests for, honestly, is um, tutorials on building yeah. and on, you know, on creating the things that we do with Zoopoxy, building the large enclosures, uh, things like that. And so that's something that, um, again, I already put out there mostly for free anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. It, I don't. I care, but I don't like care if we make a lot of money or like make money at it. You know, yeah. like people message me and are like, Oh, what are you gonna build in the black box thing? I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to build? Like, let's do it. Uh, you know, I'll put it on Instagram. I don't care. Like I'm, I'm going to build it anyway. If you want to come hang out and learn how I did this foam thing, I'll show you like, that's cool. <laughs> you know? Cool. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh. so I know you don't breed, <clears throat> but if you could, produce anything not even reptile related <laughs> if you could produce any animal what would you produce or have a colony producing or something cuttlefish a cuttlefish yeah i my wife and i produced cuttlefish oh. uh one time when we were in the middle of saltwater uh keeping and i i did not get any to survive to adulthood um hundred percent i i would i would read you that if it were any species um currently with reptiles this year i actually am hoping to produce eastern black king snakes um that isn't a, nobody cares like that's not a cool pet um yeah, it'll bite they, you <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're actually probably not a good pet um then why? So, it'll bite you. So this trio of king snakes, um, I know who collected them, where they came from, uh, specific parts of Kentucky and in that part of the United States. Uh, and you can't collect them anymore. Wow. These were collected uh, in 2014, I want to say. Um, anyway, I have their whole this whole big backstory for them, and um, some folks associated with the herpeticulture network that my podcast is on originally got them then they went to another person who is affiliated with the network and now they came to me and so it's just one of those things where like they're really specific they're not really kept in the hobby all that much they're really neat as far as where they come from and if you're into herping and, and i naturalist and checking stuff out and like you know, if you get up in the hills and stuff in the valleys in Kentucky and like these dark, cool places where you wouldn't think reptiles and amphibians are, but you get all those cold stream salamanders and then turns out they have really big black king snakes there. Like they just have a really neat backstory and they're associated with my friends. Um, I'm probably just going to give them all away to those same friends. <laughs> um, well, it sounds like you could do it as an assurance colony if they if they're becoming more rare in their habitat. You know, work with their state. Yeah, it's fisheries. it's definitely one of those things that um, people always complain about the import stuff that disappears every now and again because nobody was working yeah. with it, and then all of a sudden you want it. Um, that can happen with stuff that's native to the states too. Yeah. Um, if 
if I ever had a chance to get landings turtles that were captive bred, mm-hmm. I would jump on oh, it. Oh, same here. Um, <laughs> you know, spotted turtles are endangered in our and state. I would jump turtles, on that. They, they really um, need yeah. a lot of assurance colonies for the bog turtle. Um, like yellow mud turtles are not endangered in Illinois, but there is a subspecies of yellow mud turtle that's only found here. Just weird stuff like that that nobody else wants, but I would definitely keep a little yellow mud turtle for the next 50 years. Yeah, because um, I know when you, when you listen to the Turtle, Survive, Turtle Survival Alliance, um, they're, they're really saying that, you know, we're, we're going to need more hurt people to help us raise, have yeah. more of these assurance colonies of these animals that are becoming, you know, more and more animals are becoming listed. And so, yeah. you know, they, they ask for people well, to the- sign up for things like that. Oh, for sure. And and that's the thing too, is like, we're the only nerds that are going to do that. <laughs> is that it, if pandas, right? <laughs> oh, pandas. <laughs> what? We don't have pandas. What are you talking about? Like, but they're an icon of endangered species, all these things. Like the things that are going endangered and extinct in the United States are like salamanders you've never heard of that live under a rock in South Carolina, whatever. Like, <laughs> We're the only people that are going to set up aquariums for that. Yeah. We're the only, like, you want a yellow mud turtle that, don't those stink and live in the mud? <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> and it, it's, so yeah, I mean, a lot of those things are, you know, zoos are repositories for that kind of thing, yeah. but they also have to have a revenue stream right. and their revenue stream is pretty things that people want to feel for. Um, people don't usually feel very much for salamanders yeah. <laughs> or newts or, you know, yeah. um, uh-huh. so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I love that stuff. Um, I think it's hilarious that the only thing we're going to produce are those king snakes that are just like from my buddies in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky that, you know, that's, um, that's awesome though. I really, I really like those projects. I've got a project like that with the, the bull snakes, uh, Mud Butte, South Dakota, is where they were collected. Uh-huh. So, well, the female was, and then the eggs were hatched captively. So, yeah, it'll be. I saw a social. Uh, I think it was Facebook posting. There was a kid. I want to say in Nebraska, but he bred like ringneck snakes or oh, something. Heck yeah! And um, I dude, it, it, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, yes, heck like yeah. feeding them little cut up worms and he was like 11 or something oh, cute. um i was like dude i make them 500 dollars and go to california well, and sell them or we, something like, we have a we yeah. have a special locality in the black hills of ringneck snake or red belly ringneck snakes yeah uh and i've i've really thought about it but i feel like i'd have to breed slugs and like i'd be <laughs> right. okay with that but i uh, <laughs> a lot of work and i keep snakes because they're not a lot of work overall yes i want for the sure. little horny toads <laughs> you know the little horned lizard yeah i mean those you know we can't i don't think we can have them here there's a little place in the black hills that that they're still you know here but i mean i think they need to have some assurance colonies of those cute little guys you know that i'd volunteer right. for that <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got anything else, Peggy? 
uh, other than that uh, horned lizard confession? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have them. I want them. I'll, I'll be an insurance colony. <laughs> well, Bill, we didn't even mention Lizard Brain Radio, which is yeah. probably in my top five of podcasts and there's not Thank reptile you. podcasts on that list as well. So yeah, I really yeah. enjoy lizard brain radio. Um, it's um, way more than I expected, I guess. It, I don't know. It I, is way more I than I expected. That. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, um, I started that exactly. Like I said, you know, Morelia Python radio, is is huge um the green tree guys do their thing um their the herpeticulture podcast was around and the both of the guys in the herpeticulture podcast have lizards here and there but they're snake dudes like at their core um and i just didn't hear anybody talking about it Mm -hmm. so i was like well I, i keep all kinds of things but i would love to talk to lizard nerds. Um, and yeah, man, it, it originally, that's what it was, was just, I have been in this long enough that like, I know Mike Stefani. Yeah. Oh yeah. You want to talk about monitors? Like he's the dude, you know, I just had a couple of connections to be able to talk to people that I thought were cool. Yeah. Um, and man, that just spiraled into like, <laughs> I got to talk to Ron St. Pierre or that's like pretty cool. just crazy things that I'd never thought was going to happen um it's really cool man yeah yeah it's a really good show i enjoy it and yeah thank you yeah and i gotta catch it i i it, matthew's the one that's gotten me into the uh, all the reptile um podcast well, i listen to podcasts <laughs> instead of music at work i do listen to music sometimes but i can have headphones in all day and just yeah. listen to podcasts so right. that's what i listen to so yeah. I listen to all of them. Well, I, I, I can't listen. I have to see. I, 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 I'm the big <laughs> habitat. I want to see how they're making the habitats and the ponds. And Well, so that's you know. the thing is, like, I think that's why so many of us do it on YouTube. Like, I do YouTube and Facebook um, a live portion, and then you can listen to the episode, like, later. Right. Um, because it's, like, YouTube's one of the biggest search engines in the world now. Yeah. You yeah. know? People, it is an awesome way to pass information to people, um, and and you can just chew through podcasts. Just listen. Like I have a really long commute, so I listen to podcasts all the time, and and you can just gather so much information that way because each episode, like Amphibicast, mm-hmm. how many frog species are there? And it's like, oh, this is the person for that frog. Yeah. <laughs> I had to listen to that person. I love right. the species. This is the person. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and you just get so much information. But then if you're a visual person and you want to see the conversation happen, I talk with my hands a lot, obviously. <laughs> um, and so like that, that was a part of it for me too, was like, you would kind of get to know people yeah. a little bit better yeah. of like half of my, like I get, people kind of make fun of me in the YouTube comments sometimes is a lot of my podcast episodes don't are like this, where we don't talk about lizards all the time. (laughs) Like I talk to people about all sorts of stuff because then the people who are watching or listening kind of know them better. Like 
yeah. like they're actually a, a good person or a nice person. And like a, all of my guests come to me that way of like, Oh, Hey, my friend or like this guy's cool or you should talk to her. Like it's not cause they're famous or whatever. It's because somebody said that they were cool or that they were a good person or, or we're friends with them or I like them or they're nice or whatever. Right. Oh, and they're also like the world's authority on annoys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Like it, it always ends up being like extra, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like I talked to like Joe Hupp or Wally Kern or like mm-hmm. the world leading gecko people. Yeah. And then we talk about like cooking. Or <laughs> whatever, like, yeah. Cause they're just cool. Like uh, they're nice people. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, that's how I met um, Jane Goodall was through a sculpture I did of a chimpanzee. And then I meet, you know, I, as you know, when I grew up in the sixties, Oh man, I want to be Dr. Jane Goodall, you know? And, and right. then I meet her, you know, you know, because, you know, I did a chimpanzee sculpture and, and she, and, you know, and she signed it for me. She, you know, she, help me name the piece. And, you know, when I sell a piece, it goes to help fund her work still with the chimpanzees in Gombe stream. And, you know, so like, wow, that was, you know, my big coup of my life, you know, <laughs> meeting my science idol, you know, and, and so that's, you know, and I, I got my degree in wildlife and fisheries because of her, you know, so, right. <clears throat> yeah. So, I, and that's what, you know, when Matthew put out the, the call for someone to get, involved you know helping with this podcast i go oh wow i'll be able to meet people like i did jane goodall <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah and it i mean that the way that like this this part of social media is kind of going back to how old school stuff like i'm old enough that it was like forums and and all that stuff back in the day I remember that and like old school herpers were like five dudes that met at a waffle house to trade king snakes. <laughs> like it wasn't cool. And you know, TikTok, and it was none yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, and so you could be on a forum talking to like a curator of a museum or something just because that person kept frogs or whatever. And I don't know this, this platform and, and this way of doing things, it feels like is, it's modern because we're talking to each other from across the country on in person, but um, it's kind of the same way, yeah. right? Like it, it's much more close knit, yeah. I guess, because we're actually having a conversation and it's not like you're thumbs upping my TikTok or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're talking to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, a lot of the old school quote unquote people, um, I think are like, they're much more accepting of this. Like they come hang out and talk and, and, you know, it, I hope it will get the Instagram, TikTok crowd to pay attention to those old people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, kids. That's and, the hard part. And learn from them. That's the hard yeah. part is how do you bring in? And that, that was why I started the podcast is it's how do you bring in that YouTube audience to that long format that, right. you know, like, how do you do that? And I think yeah. the way is, is the, I'm not going to lie. Like this is a two hour <laughs> podcast and probably 30 to 45 minutes of it is really just a bunch of BS that could probably get chopped 
and be more edu- no, like it's fun. And it's conversational. <laughs> well i'm saying more for like that short format oh, it is fun yeah. and conversational right. and in the long format it works really well to have that conversation yeah. right. and get to know somebody but in that 20 minute format it doesn't work you know right it's there, there's too much well who are you you know what i mean and too much right. of that going on yeah, yeah. so yeah i've been yeah I'm busy as heck, but I've been working on that and trying to figure out how to use even cutting. Yeah, you kind of have stuff. to mishmash both. Yeah. Man. Like the, I love how Justin does for his episodes. Um, and I got the programs from him, so I'm probably going to try and copy that. But um, when he puts an episode on Instagram, it's a little like blurb of the episode. Yeah. And then he's got an audio over it, and you just hear like, whatever the case may be like, Oh, well, when I was doing chameleons, blah, 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 blah. And that's like the hook. And then if that interests you from seeing it on Facebook or seeing on Instagram, seeing it on these fast things, you can go to the episode and, and dig in more. Um, but yeah, there, you, you kind of have to have both, you know, like you have to have, the hook for people who aren't already nerds who were going to listen to me talk. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, true. Well, well, I got Matthew and I are kind of like I gen politics where he's in his twenties. I'm in my sixties. And so it's, <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, it's great. Um, it builds on the dynamic of how different we are, even though we're very similar and yeah, <laughs> you know, for so, sure. Yeah. That's fine. That's what I wanted. I wanted a very weird dynamic like that or more <laughs> a drastic dynamic of educated and not educated. The guy who keeps snakes in the room and the person who reads books and studies, you know, and that's what I was kind of going yeah. for here. So I think I well, achieved that. Go and do a reptile expo yeah. and that's what you're yeah. going to find. Yeah. And you'll have everything from bikers to phds wow. and they're all there looking at ball python i guess our, <laughs> our closest uh, reptile expo is well we uh we just had a guest that is starting uh we had the first one here in the black hills and the big one what would be the closest one is denver yeah yes. i think like a repticon in denver would be the the closest wow. thing yeah. i'm looking at coming to tinley this year so cool. if your shop's open, I'd love to swing on in and oh, cool. check out the big animals and stuff. And you're you're, you think in March or you think in October? October. We're, yeah, October's we're thinking the big one. We have, we have spring break with the kids over Tinley in March, and we talked about it, but we're thinking about going to Missouri instead. So, yeah. Yeah, October is the, yeah, the biggest be better. show. Yeah. And then we could yeah, save for up sure. a little more so I can spend a whole bunch of money that I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, right. Right. Well, um, what are your plugs, Bill? One last Ooh, time. Um, you can find Coal Black Exotics and Lizard Brain Radio anywhere on social media. You can find it. Um, my big plug currently is on the Herpeticulture Network website. And I shared it on all my social media stuff. Uh, we're doing a raffle right now for uh, a little kid named Slate. And he has some pretty serious health issues. And so we are trying to raise money for his family's expenses. Um, the stuff that got donated to the raffle is pretty epic. Heck yeah, uh, is. If you are any kind of reptile nerd. Oh, yeah. Um, 
there's literally a Merton's monitor in there, and wow. there's an exanthic mandarin rat snake, oh. which is wow. a really expensive animal. Um, people, people really dug in and, and donated some some epic stuff. Um, and there's still quite a few open slots for even for the high end stuff. There's open slots. Um, there's neat stuff. There's books because we're nerds. <laughs> um, there's snake hooks and and art and and all sorts of stuff. Um, and yeah, it's it's to raise money for for that kid. And his dad actually was just on the most recent episode of the Herpeticulture podcast. If you want to hear him talk about it a little bit, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my I big was, bug. I was me. very impressed with how quick that filled up because yeah. I was watching it. Like I, I was checking it out, and I'm still gonna do something on it, but funding. Um, <laughs> I get it. Uh, yeah, I was I was really impressed with how quick some stuff filled out. There's some stuff that you can't. There's no slots left on. Like some of it's already. Yeah, some of them. Some of them actually yeah. are full. Wow. So cool. I and I meant to mention the Merton's monitor earlier, actually, but because yeah. Uh, we don't need to mention it so that nobody else goes to <laughs> buy the more raffles because there's only a couple. There's only a couple of us that have uh, bought slots, and I live close enough to pick it up for Mike, so don't worry about that. Don't worry about that one. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, I'm, I was actually gonna congratulate you on your new Mertens monitor, and, <laughs> and no, the crazy thing is, um, Chris Paint Shop from. Uh, Badlands for Pediculture and myself both uh, bought in on that for some raffle spots. And then um, another friend of ours needs a girl. So <laughs> even if we win, the two of us are probably not going to keep it. We're probably going <laughs> to give it to our friend. Um, that's that to me, like that is old school for Pediculture. That's what that, what I mean when I say it. Um, that's a really expensive lizard, yeah. man. Um, and if I want it, and the raffle entries are not nearly as expensive as you would think, considering the price of the animal. Um, and I would totally give it to that dude. Like that's, I don't care. Um, I don't know. I I would rather. He's my buddy. Like I'll probably get a baby in a couple of yeah. years from him. Whatever. Like you just have to like you have to have a friend group that you would give an Eastern Black King Snake to. <laughs> or give <laughs> give a Merton like what then why else have a hobby that you have a social group around? Like I could have this hobby and just be by myself and keep lizards. But like I'd rather have a social group that now I'm gonna give that dude a lizard, you know, or if I if I won an Azanthic Mandarin, I I don't have a use for an Azanthic Mandarin to educate with. It is it's a morph, very expensive, high end animal. That that is not a, a use to me. I wanted to support the raffle. So if if I won that, I would probably loan it to a friend for breeding, or I would tell the person that donated it like Hey, give me a couple of smaller things that are cheaper that, you know, I can teach a lesson about Thailand or something like I'm yeah. just be cool, man. Like, yeah. Or it, if, if you really love Azanthic mandarins and win it, then rock yeah. on. You got it for a 20th of the price. Wow. Um, 
but yeah, that's pretty much everybody in the network. I, I've been really fortunate to to end up with them and in that friend group, and it's been really cool. So they're they're basically all like that. We there's always a group chat going somewhere yeah. of like, who needs a Python? <laughs> like, that's awesome. You know, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm building my internal network, so yeah, I, I know how that goes. <laughs> for sure. Oh, well, for the podcast, you can reach us on Instagram at Herp Talk Radio, uh, YouTube at Herp Talk Radio, oh, Patreon. That's should be somewhere sometime. <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> For any questions or comments, please reach out herptalkradio at gmail.com. And thank you very much, Bill, yes. for coming on. Yes. We Absolutely. Really yeah. appreciate sure. it. And yeah. I'd... And go check out that raffle. That's for sure. And, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to yeah. enjoy it's It's doing really well. I'm I'm really happy that we're going to be able to, to get that. That episode of THN is totally worth a listen. I listened to it today, actually. Yeah, he's he's really cool. Yeah. He also is a reptile guy as yeah. well. Um not just the the family side. So it was cool that for yeah. both. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, it's great getting right. to know you and I'm looking forward to uh catching more of your episodes on a lot of other venues and and uh Awesome. Yeah. And it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> you guys all have a good night. You too. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs>